In the beginning, the son was Eloah. The son of El was both with El, and the son of El was Eloah. Shabbat Shalom. Welcome to the Diaspora of Yasharel. We are a uh, community of Torah-observant Messianic believers. Uh, my name is Noel, and I'm coming to you this week from somewhere on the Gulf Coast of Florida. Um, that's as much information as I'm going to give right now. I am joined, as always, by Rob and Michael. Rob is also, to my understanding, somewhere tonight on somewhere on the Gulf Coast of Florida, and Michael is off in the woods in the Ozarks, I believe, still uh, hanging in some cabin in the woods. I'm not quite sure where. He's been on the move a lot. Um, also, uh, tonight we have a new moderator in the house. I'm really, really excited that Kate, uh, not Katie, Katie, you're already an administrator, but we have Rebecca. Uh, she has joined our uh, moderator administrative team tonight. And I bring that up because here at the Unexpected Cosmology, when I started this uh, a couple years ago, now I've been, you know, writing away and in the, in the true the realm for several years now. But when I relaunched my old site to the Unexpected Cosmology, the original idea was that I was going to... Uh, reach out to people all over in the community, mostly Torah-based community, and get them to contribute. And what I started finding was, as I did that, uh, people would come over and contribute. They would write articles and what have you, and then I would never hear from them again. And they weren't really contributing to the community. But over the last year or two, um, and now basically everybody that is involved in this project, the Unexpected Cosmology, have all come from within. Uh, Rob and Michael, they, I, I don't even remember when they showed up. One day they were just at my house. I don't even know how that happened, but they showed up in my house and there they were and we started talking and we, we're in this partnership now. And everybody here has been you know, coming into this collective vision and we all have different points of views and you know, coming from different experiences, but it's just a amazing community we have here i'm really enjoying it we are growing and so uh rebecca came in came to us sometime this last summer and it's just been exciting getting to know her for those of you i imagine that most of the people listening tonight probably on youtube land when this uh eventually goes up in the next day or two have been following along with us through the hebrew gospel of yochanan probably from chapter one or the whereabouts if for whatever reason you are jumping in tonight brand new, I just want to give a little bit um, of information on what we are doing. And that is, the, we believe that the, I, I think Rob and Michael and I are probably pretty much on the same page, that the Hebrew Gospel of Yochanan, or John, was originally written in Hebrew, and it was eventually translated uh, into Greek at some point in history, and that this, what we are going through, this document uh, derives in some form from the original Hebrew. Now, I'm of the opinion that, uh, you know, there's some of the things may have not carried over from the original document, but 
I think it's it's pretty sound and it's pretty much in place. And we have been showing that going through that. Rob, Michael, and I as we show up here on Sabbath, and we have not gone gone over notes with each other. I do not know what Rob is going to talk about. I do not know what Michael is going to talk about. Nor do they know what I'm going to talk about. Um, this is exciting because we read through this together, and then the three of us just you know steal each other's thunder. That's what we do for the next two hours. We will be we will be seeing who can steal each uh, the other person's thunder. But I love this. I love bringing Rob Michael on. They're very just informative, uh, deep um, researchers of scripture. And with that, let's get started. I'm going to pray, and then I will be handing it over to Rob to begin reading. What are we reading tonight? We're reading from chapter 12. We're going to be starting there and hopefully get through chapter 13 tonight. So let's begin. Our dearest Father in heaven, Yahuwah, the Most High Elohim of Yasharel, uh, I, I say this every week, but just thank you for this hour we live in. The only reason I believe we know that it is so dark is because you have been showing us so much light, and you have personally woken us up. It is the hearing ear and the seeing eye comes from you alone. That comes from Proverbs 20.12. And uh, just thank you for revealing yourself to us and bringing us closer to you through all the things we've been discovering. Thank you for uh, bringing these books to light uh, that we can study. All the extra biblical books that have been discovered, the Dead Sea Scrolls, Nag Hammadi texts, uh, the, the, the Targums, but also these Hebrew Gospels. And we know that this is, uh, you are asking us to uh, to open these up and seek out truth. and. Uh, so just thank you for that again, and we pray all these things in the name of your son, Yahushua HaMashiach, and the Ruach HaKodesh. Amen. Okay, Rob, I'm handing it over to you. Okay, Shalom. I will read Yochanan, chapter 12, 1 through 26. And then Yeshua, and then Yeshua six days before the Pesach, came in Bet-Anya, where Eliezer had died, he whom Yeshua made alive, and they prepared for him to eat. Now Marta served him, and Eliezer was one of those who ate. And Miriam took one pound of extremely precious nard ointment and anointed the feet of Yeshua, and all the house was filled with pleasant fragrance of the ointment. Then one of the Tal Talmudim, Yehuda Ishkariot, who would betray him, said, Why was this ointment not, for, not sold for 300 coins, even that they would, could be given to the poor ones? But this which he said, he did not say it because he kept an eye on the poor ones, but for him, even for himself, he sought it, for he was a thief. And he had purses wherein where were placed that which they carried. So Yeshua said, Leave it, in order that I may regard it in the day of my burial. For poor ones will be among you always, but I will but I will not be for you all time. When many people of the Yadim realized where they were, they came there. Not only because Yeshua, but that they could see Eliezer. 
people who came together for the day of melody, when they heard that Yeshua was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of date palms and went out unto him to the way. And they shouted, saying, Hoshanna, this is the king of Yisrael. Now Yeshua had found a colt, a foal of a female donkey, and sat on it, as it is written. Do not fear, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a colt, the foal of a female donkey. His Talmudim did not realize this in the beginning, but when Yeshua was exalted in the light of the Most High, then they realized that these words had been spoken about him, and that they, were, and that they did these things to him. Therefore the crowd of the people who were with him did witness of him, that, they, that he called Eliezer from the grave, and that he made him return from death to life. Even because of this, that company came to him, going out to the way, for they heard it being said that he did a sign and wonder. Therefore the Perishim said amongst themselves, Behold, that we are not productive in this matter, that all the world is going after him. Now there was some of the sons of Anak, of those who came up to worship on the day of the feast, who came near to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and they entreated him, saying, Adon, we desire to see Yeshua Mashiach. So Philip came and told it to Andrei. And afterwards, Andrei and Philip told it to Yeshua. Then Yeshua answered them, Now the time has come that the Son of Man will be exalted. Truth I say to you, if a grain of mustard which falls there does not die, it remains alone. But if it dies, it gives much fruit. Whosoever loves his nefesh will cause it to perish. But he who condemns his life in this world will be judged justified to everlasting life. He who wants to serve me, let him serve following after me. And at the place where I am, my servant must be. He who serves me, my father will honor him. And that is the end of my reading, the 26. And I will pass it to Michael for commentary and further with Nolan and myself. Yes, yes, I'm on. Um, just had a few things on this first part. Uh, I wanted to start with uh, number three. I'm going to read uh, the Hebrew. Um, then Miriam took one pound of extremely precious nard ointment and anointed the feet of Yeshua. It was filled with the pleasant fragrance of the ointment. And I was just doing some research, and this was actually um, part of a Jewish burial ritual. Ritual where they would anoint the body with perfume and this is you know now it's like it's like shadowing signaling Yeshua's death so this is something that the Jews used to do back in the day they would anoint the body with perfume before um, burying the body so um, but I also wanted to point out the Greek difference I don't know exactly what it means but um, in the Greek it says then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard very costly and anointed the feet of Yeshua and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Um, the little research I did on spikenard, it, it comes from India, I believe. 
But uh, as far as wiping the feet of the hair, I couldn't find much on that. But I just wanted to point out the difference on that. Um, my next thing is number five um, in the Hebrew. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 coins, even that they could be given to the poor ones? That's what, that's what uh, Judas Iscariot was asking. Um, and I did some research, and 300 coins was a year's wage back then. So... Like that's what he had in mind. He, you know, he wanted to, to sell that ointment um, for a year's wage. Um, this I have two uh, cross references. So, on uh, number eight, um, for poor ones will be among you always, but I will not be with you for all time. Uh, cross reference is uh, Deuteronomy fifteen eleven. For the poor will not cease to exist in the land. Therefore, I am commanding you, saying. You shall fully open your hand to your brother, to your needy, and poor in your land. Um, and then this second cross-reference, which is the famous one about the uh, Yeshua on a colt, or a, the foal of a female donkey. So now Yeshua had a colt, number 14, the foal of a female donkey, and sat on it, as it is written. So where is it written? You know, the New Testament wasn't written yet. This is, this is a fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. I just wanted to read that. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and endowed with salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So that's just amazing. That's just one of the many, many prophecies that Yeshua fulfilled. So I just wanted to point that out. And my last thing on this first part, and then we'll hand it off to Noel, is number 20. So I'm going to read both. So... In the Greek, it says, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. Okay. And then the Hebrew says, Now there were some of the sons of Anak, of those who came up to worship on the day of the feast. So I was doing some research. Sons of Anak, you know, you go automatically you go to Anak or to the Anakim or the giants of the Old Testament. And I was like, whoa, he's literally saying these are the sons of the giants? who came up to worship on the day of the feast. But there's a, there's another word um, called anax, A-N-A-X, um, which, is ancient, which is an ancient Greek word for tribal chief, lord, or military leader. So I just want to throw both out there that, you know, logically it would make more sense that these were just, you know, the sons of these tribal chiefs or military leaders. Um, the sons of Anak who came up to worship. Or, if you take it back to the Hebrew, it could literally be the sons of Anak, or the Anakim, the giants. Either way, it's interesting. And I'm sure that Rob and Noel will have something to say on that. But that's all I have for this first part, and I'll hand it off to Noel. When I read that, it was one of the my fall-out-of-my-chair moments. Like, did it just say the sons of Anak? Because that's what it says. And in the Hebrew... If you look it up, it is Strong's 6061, and it literally just, there's no word for it other than the giant or the sons of the giants. Now, I'm calling this, now, in the commentary here, the, the people who translated this, uh, the Hebrew gospel, I think they just say like, oh, it's just like another word for the Greeks or something like that. No, I'm not going that route. I'm saying, I'm saying this is literally the sons of Anak. Anak. Now, when we're digging into this millennial kingdom stuff, like we are finding the giants were all over the earth. Okay. And that has been hidden from us. And I'm saying, I'm, I'm going with the translation that these are 
the sons of the giants, that they came to speak with him. And here is why. Okay, I'm going to build a case on this. Starting in verse 12, we see, I'm going to here, I'm going to put First um, Samuel, I'm going to type this in here so you guys can read this along with me. And hopefully BibleBot, sometimes BibleBot gives uh, some strange, um, okay. So this is kind of a long text, but we are going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 18. Now this is, you'll see the context of this really quickly. Uh, who has David just uh, killed? Goliath, the Philistine, okay? And David went out wherever, um, let's see. Okay, so let's start with verse 6. And it came to be, as they came in, as David was returning from striking the Philistine, that the women came out from all the cities of uh, Yasharel singing and dancing to meet Shaul the sovereign with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. Uh, some versions, and I was curious because I didn't know what Bible bot was going to, um, or scripture bot was going to put here. It didn't use the word melody, but in some translations, it actually says they came with melody. And here we see that in um, uh, verse 12, it says, So the next day, a great crowd of people who came together for the day of melody. So Yahusha is a celebrity, just like David. Now, the difference is, is that David has just killed a giant. And now he's a celebrity and all the women are coming out and, you know, throwing their whatever at him. And, and, and there's, there's some interesting um, connotations here with the sons of Anak and Yahusha. All right. The number 40. Goliath came and he challenged uh, Israel for how many days? 40 days. And for 40 days, nobody would meet him in battle. David comes. On the 40th day, and he's like, he's like, what's up, bro? And he and, you know, throws down the challenge with them. How long does he get to be a king for? 40 years. Uh, we see Yahusha um, in the wilderness for 40 days. He passes the test. Israel doesn't pass the test. They reject him. And in 40 years, the temple is destroyed. All right, so we see a lot of connection here. We see the same thing. We're, we're going to get to it, the sons of Anak. I'll get to that in a second. All right, so let me go ahead and read through, um, since we're here, uh, chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, uh, starting now in verse 7. And the women sang as they danced and said, Shaul struck his thousands and David his ten thousands. Ouch. And, <laughs> and it's, it's like, okay, like how many people has he killed by this point? But, uh, and and Shaul was very wroth at this matter. Uh, and this matter was evil in his eyes. And he said to David, they have given 10,000s. And to me, they have given thousands. So what more for him except the rain? Now, keep in mind here that the same thing that's happening with Yahushua at this time is, you know, he didn't kill a giant, but he just resurrected someone from the dead. He, uh, Eliezer or Lazarus. And because of this, he's now a celebrity and people are coming and singing and, and, and dancing. And the Greek here says, and I, I by the way, I, I, I don't, I don't know if this was originally in Hebrew or not, but the Greek says they're trying to, they want to kill Lazarus too. They don't want to just kill Yahushua, they want to kill Lazarus. Why? Because this is a testimony to his glory, what he did, right? All right, continuing. Uh, and from that day on, Shaul, uh, I, David, he wants to kill him now, just like the Pharisees want to kill Yahushua. And it came to be on the next day that an evil uh, Ruach from Elohim came upon Shaul and he prophesied in, inside the house while David was playing with the lyre with his hand as usual, and the spear was in the hand of Shaul. Um, I think I'm going to leave it there. Uh, you guys know what happens. He tries to kill him. 
All right. So now let's jump over to numbers. I'm type this in. Numbers 13, 26 through 33. All right. And they went and came to Moshe and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of the Asherel in the wilderness of Paran at uh, Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And as we know, you know, they were like huge grapes and, you know, and so on and so forth. And they reported to him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. And truly, it flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. But the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are walled very great, and we saw the descendants of Enoch there too. Um, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, while the Hittites and the Yubisites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Yarden River. And Caleb silenced the people before Moshe and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are certainly able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of uh, Yasharel an evil report. And, uh, and no, I'll just finish this. Of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land eating up its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. And we saw there the Nephilim, the sons of Enoch, right? Nephilim, the sons of Enoch, of, and, um, of the Nephilim, and we were like grasshoppers in our own, um, yeah, I read that right, and we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and so we were in their eyes. So, because of this evil report, because the people listened to it, you have uh, two of the, of the spies who are like, let's go in and take them now, and the other ten give an evil report. Because of this, they were in the land for 40 days, and when they come back, who is like, okay, for those 40 days, I am now having you wander for 40 years. So we see the 40, 40, 40. We see some really interesting connections. What I'm saying here is that we are seeing um, Yahusha compared to David in this. So hopefully everyone saw that. Now, again, I can't I can't sit here and tell you that this literally is the sons of Anak, uh, the same Nephilim genealogy. Um, but from my research, and I think from a lot of our research, we're coming to terms with the fact that there were giants still in the world at this time. Big, giant castles, like literally, like, you know, Jack and the Beanstalk stuff. So I'm just saying this is a possibility, and I am seeing here uh, that the, the connection between the three. Enough said. All right, back to you, Rob. Okay, uh, that was a great connection. Uh, I'll be able to speak more on to that, uh, but uh, I I did not pull that connection up. That's great. I'm gonna I'll I'll start. I'm gonna roll back and get catch up to that. But I'm gonna go back to verse three on the uh, washing of the feet. As, as you can see here in, the, in the, the difference between Hebrew and the Greek, the wiping of the feet, the Greek says, wiped his feet with her hair, and the Hebrew just says the feet of Yeshua was anointed. And the only other time this is spoken about with anointing the feet with the hair is in uh, Luke. And it was... It wasn't this scene. It was another scene. Um, we read in Matthew and Mark this, this particular uh, scenario. 
uh, says uh, a woman anointed the head of Yeshua at Simon the leper's house, where Yeshua says she is anointing his body for the burial. So in Matthew and Mark, she's anointing his head. Here John mentions that she's anointing the feet. And then in Luke 7.36-38, uh, here's a scene at Simon the Pharisee's house. So this is another Simon, or I don't know if it's the same Simon, but one was a leper's house, and this one's the Pharisee's house. And at this location, it, it talks about a woman anointing his feet with her hair. Uh, so it, it's somewhat uh, uh, similar, but not these same scenarios. So I, I just found that in different areas uh, regarding the hair and the feet, where the Matthew and Mark do not mention the hair. And then here in the Hebrew, it does not mention the hair, just that his feet was anointed and he was more or less prepared for the, the burial in that sense. Then, I, then I, I did want to bring up something interesting. I know we talked about this way in the past, uh, the Arabic Gospel of the Infancy of the Savior, uh, verse 5. And, and this, uh, this is speaking about that oil specifically. And the time of circumcision, that is the eighth day, being at hand, and this is talking about uh, Yeshua as a child, the child was to be circumcised according to the law. Wherefore, they circumcised him in the cave. And the old Hebrew woman took the piece of skin, put, but some say that she took the navel string and laid it past in a jar of old oil of nard. And she had a son, a dealer in ungents, and she gave it to him, saying, See that you do not sell this jar of ungent of nard, even although 300 denarii should be offered thee for it. And this is the jar which Mary the sinner bought and poured upon the head and feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, which therefore she wiped with the hair of her head. So in that writing, it's kind of given the background story of this particular uh, anointment oil. So whether it's true or not, it's just something interesting I wanted to share uh, that's regarding this oil. And as Michael said, the 300 coins, yeah, it, I, it, it does say about a year's salary. And depending on your sources, could be anywhere from uh, our money today would be like, I don't know, or the money of that, or the money amount would be like $850 to $2,000. Um, but I don't know, a year's salary or whatever that might be during that time. Then, and then I wanted to touch base on what Noel said on verse 12 with the day of melody. Uh, perhaps that is tied to David and Goliath scene where the, the melody, singing the melodies from the slaying of the giant, and perhaps that may be held as a tradition of some sort that passed down. I don't know, but that's, that, that was interesting you brought that up. Could be a connection there. Um, Michael already covered one. And then last, let's see here. Uh, I do want to share on verse 19. Therefore, the, the perishim said amongst themselves, Behold, that we are not productive in this matter, that all the world is going after him. So here we have the Pharisees talking amongst themselves, and they are they're upset. They're, they're, they're telling each other that, hey, we're not productive. Look at this guy. He's got... 
thousands of people following him, and he's you know riding on a donkey. And so they see, and they and it's it's interesting. They make this statement: "Behold, we are not productive. Look, look what we're, we're we're not look what we're not doing, and look what he is doing." And I like I like that comparison that, that Noel made to Saul to David. How Saul's looking at David and like, "Hey, look at the glory this guy's getting, and what what I've done." So that that was a great connection. And and then the follow up with the comment on the sons of a knock on twenty. Uh, whether it's the, son, the the sons of the giants or the military leaders, obviously we know that when it says the sons of, it's it's probably referring to the generations uh, lineage of of the peoples. So, you know, I stick to that when Yeshua talks about uh, preaching to the world, uh, it, it's it's to everybody, and and I believe that. Even other, like like we were reading earlier, that other sheepfolds will hear his voice. So uh, we can't forget that. And 23, I did want to speak on the uh, the Son of Man being exalted. Uh, I, did, I did somewhat touch on that. Notice that when the Gentiles came to the feast to worship, they sought Yeshua. They got Philip and Andre, and they told Yeshua he, uh, that it, he said it was his time to be lifted up, and the other sheepfold were coming. So here we see that the other sheepfolds are coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts, and that Yeshua is there to more or less be there or welcome them, uh, uh, that they are being called and, and coming. So that's kind of how I, I, I see that tied in. And then lastly... I got one more, but I'll share this uh, regarding the mustard seed. Uh, well, I'll do that on the next next go around. I'll stop there and hand it off to Michael. Um, I'm done. I can read, but I'll give it off to Noah if he has any more comments on this. Yeah, I yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about again the sons of Anak because you know I could be could just be some Greek you know general or something like that. But I think this is really awesome if it really is the Sons of Anak. And once again, I, I, I want to bank off of what I had already spoken about in, uh, it was Numbers chapter 13, 26 to 33. So that generation that refused to go in to confront the Sons of Anak, what happened? They had to wander for 40 years. They were kind of a useless generation to the point that uh, Yahuwah said, I'm I'm going to have to raise up your children and we're going to have to try again with them. So keeping that in mind, let's see what Yahusha's response is to the, um, to the sons of Anak or whoever these people are. Okay. He said, um, and I, I do want to comment really quickly because I had said in the first week of the series that, uh, you know, Philip is the guy who, you know, people go to, to get to Messiah. Right. And it's kind of interesting. They, they, they knew to go to Philip in order to get Yahusha, and then he goes straight to Peter. So, but anyways, um, this is how, this is how, so he turns and he speaks to them, if I'm reading this right. He's speaking to these sons of Anak, who may be Nephilim, they may be Greek, I don't know. This is what he says. Um, now the time has come that the Son of Man will be exalted. Exalted, all right? He's speaking about his death. Like, he's, he's saying, uh, he's telling these people, look, you know, Israel, uh, they weren't willing, but 
I'm willing. I'm going to go in and I'm going to be, I'm going to die. I'm going to be exalted. Truth I say to you, if a grain of mustard which falls there does not die, it remains alone. But if it dies, it gives much fruit. Whosoever, this is the key here. Whosoever loves his nefesh will cause it to perish. But he who condemns his life in this world will be justified to everlasting life. Um, so I, I, I kind of see that there as a, as a complete contrast to, uh, you know, it, uh, Yahusha obviously is a fulfillment of what nobody in Israel was ever able to do. Um, so that's where I'm kind of seeing that more. But I also want to point out a little bit more of the final verse here. And hopefully I wasn't going to steal anything from Rob here, but I saw a connection to uh, Miriam and, and Marta. In verse 26, he says, and he's still speaking to this, these Greek slash sons of Anak. He who wants to serve me, let him, let him serve following after me. And at the place where I am, my servant must be. He who serves me, my father will honor him. Now, I understand that um, um, we don't get exactly the same story here, but we see, you know, the uh, Mary and Marta, uh, Mar uh, Miriam and Marta, were you know kind of, kind of going back and forth because if you remember like the kitchen scene, I think it was uh, who was it that was in the kitchen? I think it was um, was it Mar Martha? Yeah, it was Martha. I think in the kitchen, and she's complaining like you know Miriam's out here and I'm doing all the work, and he gave this the response of like but this is where I am right now. Like, you know, I'm not always going to be here. So I think that that was kind of interesting coming in the frame of this uh, chapter where we see Miriam take the nard and anoint him at his, at his feet. So uh, anyways, back to you, Rob. Your speaker is not on. Thank you. I want to speak to the mustard seed. Then next, I will. Uh, then I wanted to speak on the nefesh on verse twenty-five to everlasting life. After that, and what I what I shared in in the uh, chat is uh, scriptures of the mustard seed that I think help get a better grasp or understanding of what John is. Stating here, truth I say to you, if a grain of mustard which falls there does not die, it remains alone. But if it dies, it gives much fruit. And and you see the other scriptures there, Matthew 13, 31 through 32, Mark 4, uh, 30, and Matthew 17, 20, and then Luke 17, 6. And what I wanted to point out was in Mark 4, 30. This is the Hebrew Mark. Now I say to you, to what could I liken the kingdom of Yahweh? To what pattern can I liken it? It is like a grain of mustard. When it is sown in the earth, it is smaller than all the vegetables which are in the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and is, a, is made bigger than the rest of the plants and makes so many seeds. Just like bearing fruit gives much fruit. This mustard, mustard, uh, this grain of mustard just bears so many seeds, so much fruit and branches that the birds of heaven dwell in the shades of its branches. So 
this parable is very interesting that something very small, any of us, any of us who are following Yeshua, no matter how small we think we are, no matter how insignificant or what little we can do that we're thinking, uh, we, we should be very careful of that thinking and, and look at the power of the mustard seed and just planting the seeds, watering them, and going forth, and that can produce much fruit. And so, so we have to just keep that in mind when, it, when, we're, when we're thinking about that, because uh, the things that we do may have great impacts to generations to come or others to hear and, and that, that you uh, experience in life and so forth that may make a huge difference. So uh, I just want to say that to encourage all in regards to that. And, oh, I, I did want to point out on Matthew 17, 20, truly I say to you that if there be in you any faith as a grain of mustard, well, that word faith there, when you're looking at the, the Greek of the word faith, uh, I think it was, I forgot the G4102, I'm guessing at this point, but it, it means uh, fidelity or faithfulness to obligations, duties, and observances. That means, you know, if you have any faith, that, that is faithfulness to observances of, of just doing these things that uh, as a mustard seed, then it can grow into great powerful things. So that was it on the mustard seed. And then I'll share this one here on the everlasting life. And I'll drop that. Now this one here, I'm just going to speak on the, the nefesh. Whosoever loves his nefesh will cause it to perish, but he who condemns his life in this world, he will be justified to everlasting life. So I'm relating that to everlasting life of the just uh, that we just spoke of here. And you tie that in with Revelation 12, 11, uh, They who overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. So these are the ones who, you know, do not do not uh, love their life or love this world. They are seeking Him and living for Him. Uh, Luke fourteen twenty six through twenty seven. If anyone comes to me and does not hate or detest his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. So we have to think about that, uh, what that means. And, and then in Psalms 73, 25-26, you know, I desire nothing on earth. So it just supports, supports what's being said here. So I, I wanted to share that. Because what he's saying here is uh, those of us who detest this life, you know, and love him and follow him, we're, we're be, we'll, we will be justified to everlasting life. So I just wanted to, to speak to that and give a little bit more context in regards to it to share with the group. And lastly on, oh yeah, I think that's it for me for 26. So that's my sharing, and off to Michael or or Noel if you had anything follow up on what I what I just said. Otherwise, Michael's next. Yeah, I have nothing. I can read if you if you're ready. I'm ready, Michael. Go ahead and read. 
Alrighty, sounds good. 27, chapter 12. My nefesh is terrified now, and what should I say? Father, save me in this time. But because of this, I have come to this time, to exalt and to lift up your name. Then a voice came from the heavens and said, As for me, I have exalted it, and I will again lift it up. When the people who stood there heard this, they said, This is the sound of thunder. And others said, A messenger spoke to him. Yeshua answered and said, This voice did not come for my sake, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of the world. Now the prince of the world will be cast outside. When, when I, I will be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all to myself. And he said this to elude what death he would die. The people answered him, We have heard from the law that Mashiach abides existent and eternal. And how do you say that the Son of Man will be exalted from the earth? Who is this Son of Man? Then Yeshua said to them, There is still a lamp among you. Walk while the lamp is among you, that you do not fall into darkness and gloom. For whosoever walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the lamp, believe in the lamp, in order that you may become sons of the lamp. Yeshua said these words to them, and went and hid himself from them. And when he did so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. In order that the words of Yeshiah the prophet could be fulfilled, who said, Adon, who will believe that which we have heard, or the strength of El which is reported? And therefore it was not in their hand to believe, because Yeshiah the prophet said again, Blind their eyes and harden their heart, lest they see with the eyes and understand with the heart, and be attentive, and I heal them. Yeshiah the prophet said these words when he saw the exaltation of Ah, and spoke of him. However, many of the leaders did believe in him, but for fear of the perishim, they did not confess him, lest they should be cast from the houses of assembly. For they love the esteem of men more than the esteem of El. Yeshua called out and said, Whosoever believes in me believes in none except in him who sent me. Who sees me sees him who sent me. I'm the lamp who came in the world, so that everyone who believes in me will not abide in gloom. And if one hears my words but does not keep them, will I myself not judge him, even though I myself did not come to judge the world, but that I may be their savior? Whosoever despises me and does not receive my words, he already has that which judges him. The words which I have spoken will judge him in the last day. I do not speak of myself, but the Father who sent me. He commanded me to speak and to command. And I know that his commandment is everlasting life. And that which I speak is identical to that which the Father speaks. So I speak. Off to Noel for commentary. I don't even know where to begin because there's, I, I don't know if you guys can, you guys can't see this, but I have just like so many just, I was reading this, just scribbling down so many notes and uh, different scriptural passages. I really liked in verse 40 where it said, blind their eyes and harden their heart. Now this is, the context is Isaiah. Let me see if I can. Well, I'll read this first. Blind their eyes and harden their hearts, lest they see with the eyes and understand with the heart and be attentive, and I heal them. So this comes from, I think if I have the right passage, I'll write Isaiah 6.10 in here. Yep, there it is. So in in Isaiah, uh, Yahuwah tells Yeshiyahu, the prophet, he tells, Tells them this, make the heart of this people fat and their ears heavy and shut their eyes 
lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and shall turn and be healed. Now, if I understand the context of this, it seems really like, well, yeah, why, why wouldn't you want them to repent? Right? Like, why wouldn't you? And I, I believe the context of this, if I'm understanding this right, is that there is a, uh, a court in heaven. Well, there is a court in heaven. And there are judgments made. They, they try and they make judgments. And at this point with Isaiah, and this is leading up again, what does this lead up to? It leads up to the destruction of Jerusalem, just like it's happening in um, Yahusha's time. And he comes and he prophesies that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And Yahuwah has already made this judgment. I am going to do this. So he tells Isaiah, uh, we're, we're shutting the valve off. We're darkening people's eyes. We're closing their ears because if they turn and repent, that's going to go against my own judgment that I've already made. I've already put this into action. It's going to happen. And that that's a terrible place to be in. Like, you know, where like he's already he's already signed off on the books. You know, this judgment is coming on these people. And that that seems to be what's happening in um Yahusha's own time. Now keep in mind he he's already declaring them to be sons of Satan. Like he, there's a there's a reason why John the Baptist, in my opinion, was not at the temple. I mean, he was a Levite priest, but he was out in the wilderness. My opinion on this is because he realized he couldn't do his priestly duties uh, if he were in the temple because he's surrounded by very corrupt people. I mean, we see in the same passage it says, um, I mean, this is really lame, but it says there were, uh, however, many of the leaders did believe in him, but for fear of the perishing, they did not confess him, lest they should be cast from the house of assembly. How lame is that? Like, you so bad, you so badly want to be with your, your slave masters and your controllers in the temple, rather than with the actual, the creator, right? Like, that's the ultimate party foul, right there. Alright, so that seems to be what I think is happening here, that the judgment has already gone out on these these rulers. Like they're gonna be destroyed. And so this is why Yahusha's coming along and he's like, I'm speaking in these parables, uh, that it is darkness to these people. So they, you know, they can't um, understand. So let me go to uh quickly Proverbs twenty twelve. I'll write this in here. Did I get the right verse? I think I did. The hearing ear and the seeing eye Yahuwah has made both of them. So if anybody here is has woken up, and you know, we talk about this, right? There's a, there's woke culture and there's the truthers who have woken up. If we have truly woken up to the truth of of Yahuwah's commands, um, and of course the testimony of Yahusha, Revelations uh, fourteen twelve, that it is Yahuwah who has opened our eyes. And give it us hearing ears. That's a wonderful thing if we're in that uh, boat. There is one more I want to read here. This comes from, because the, the context is that Isaiah has, there's a lot being quoted here from Isaiah, but I love the ascension of Isaiah. So this, let's see, what is this? I can't unfortunately put this into BibleBot. I tried this earlier today. BibleBot does not have the ascension of Isaiah in it. And it says this, and the Elohim of that world will stretch forth his hand against the sun, and they will crucify him on a tree, and will slay him, not knowing who he is. And thus his descent, as you will see, 
will be hidden even from the heavens, so that it will not be known who he is. And so we see with this generation that even Satan himself, and that's one of the themes of the Ascension of Isaiah, as well as the Gospel of Nicodemus and some of these, is that not even Satan knew who Yahushua was, uh, which is even really interesting when we will see in the next chapter when he enters um, Yehuda Iscariot. Um, I have a lot of notes here, but I want to hand it back to you, Rob, and then we'll go from there. All right. Yeah, uh, what chapter and verse was that in the Ascension of Isaiah you just read? Uh, it was I, Ascension of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 14 through 15. Great. All right. I am going to touch on a few things. Um, one, I, I wanted to get if Michael caught anything on verse 28 or is going to mention anything on verse 28. And then the voice came from heavens and said, As for me, I have exalted it, and I will again lift it up. Um, I, I, it, it appears to me that it is the Father speaking, but I just wanted to know if he, if he saw if that could be the Ruach speaking. But anyway, I, that was one. And then 30, verse 31. Uh, now is the judgment of the world. Now the prince of the world will be cast outside. And that, that's one I want Michael to talk more about because uh, he did mention to me, so I'm not going to go into any, anything deep on it, but I am interested in, in, in the, the time frame or timeline of w the impact of that statement. So I'll let him speak on that one. And 36, he's referring to sons, sons of the Lamp. Uh, what I wanted to point out with the Sons of the Lamp is that's referring back to uh, John 1, 4 that we read. For he, the Father, is life. This life is the lamp of men. So the Sons of the Lamp were the lamp of men which is life. So we're the sons of the lamp, which is the sons of life. So I just wanted to tie that in. So when he's making these references, as Yeshua always does in these parables, in these phrases uh, uh, that he uses a specific uh, uh, terminology or words, which mean other things. So this is just, just another one of those. And I wanted to comment on what Noah was saying about verse 42. Some, some of the leaders believe, but still loved life, the esteem of men. And we see that, we see that in many places. Uh, I think many people will get tested. And that's why Yeshua says that it is going to be really tough for a rich man to enter into the kingdom. You know, he, he, he uses the eye of the needle phrase because... Are they will, really willing to give up the their position, their 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 money, their esteem that they have acquired or been given? So that is something we all must uh, be be cautious of. And then verse forty six, once again, he's referring to John one nine about the lamp. And la lastly, I'll do on on for this, and I got a little bit more is on forty seven. And if anyone hears my words but does not keep them, will I myself not judge him? 
even though I myself did not come to judge the world, but that I may be their savior. So I was asking Pam in, in, the, in the group on this specifically, on the Hebrew, but it's still not clear to me uh, on what he's saying. It's me, when you read the Greek and then you read this Hebrew phrased in, in the English, it sounds like it's saying the opposite. Uh, and if one hears my words but does not keep them, will I myself not judge them? Not judge him, you know? It, it's like, if he's not going to keep, keep his words, then he's going to be judged. So, anyway, that's how I read that, and I don't know if you guys saw that too, but to me it looked like uh, it's the opposite of what 47, uh, the, the Greek says, I judge him not. To me, the Hebrew is saying the opposite. So, I'm going to pass it off to Michael and let him go, and then uh, see what you guys think on some of those, those topics. Yes, yes, thank you. Um, I only have three on the second half. You, you, you flirted with stealing my thunder on two of them, but <laughs> it's all good. I'll be uh, nice. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, I'm going to start with 42 and 43. Um, like Rob was saying, how many of the elders did believe in him, but for fear of the perishim, they did not confess him, lest they should be cast from the house of the assembly. They love the esteem of men more the, than the esteem of El. Um, like, this just hit me, like, about not denying him in public, you know? Like, if, you know, proclaim your faith to the masses at every opportunity. Um, but I did a little word study on the word esteem in Hebrew, and uh, what I found was, and maybe Pam could correct me, but uh, it's 4009 Mibtak. Um, it, it really means confidence like the confidence in. Um, some other definitions could be security, trust, in which they trust, whom you trust. So if they're both using the same word, it's basically, basically saying, for they love the trust of men more than the trust of El. So to me, as someone who, before I got into this walk, I used to love the world. You know, I loved what Babylon had to offer, and this just hit me, hit my gut. So I just wanted to make that um the next thing is 47 and 48 i'm going to read both again um in the hebrew and if one hears my words but does not keep them will i myself not judge him even though i myself did not come to judge the world but that i may be their savior whosoever despises me and does not receive my words he already has that which judges him the words which i have spoken will judge him in the last day I want to read the Greek now, and it's just so blatantly, like, limited. Like, it's so much more obvious in the Hebrew. Um, 47 and 48 in the Greek. And if any man hears my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejected me and received not my words hath one that judges him. The word which I have spoken, the same judge shall judge him in that last day. The Hebrew, you know, the Hebrew, you can hear his words, but the Hebrew says you have to keep them but does not keep them. He, they're equating hearing with keeping them. And it's also saying the words will judge him. So to me, what that means to me is the, the Torah. He's just literally going to judge you by the Torah. Um, okay. Um, I know Noel can go way more into that, but uh, my last thing, and that was uh, 31, which is Rob, what Rob was 
talking about, I think it's 31. Yes, yeah, 31. Um, now is the judgment of the world. Now the prince of the world will be cast outside. And I, I shared it in, in the millennial, in the uh, 70 AD room this week. What does that mean, guys? The, the judgment of the world came and the prince of the world will be cast outside. Um, he's still here, right? So let's go back 2,000 years ago. What does that mean back then? Um, you know, you, you could say it could be, you know, how, how he had access to the king, had access to the Most High in Job. And was he cast out from that? Um, I want to make the comparison to Revelation 12, 7. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels, waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they did not prevail. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down or cast out. The serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down. And I know Noel and I were discussing that he thinks Revelation 12 is a Tartaria chapter, and I want him to elaborate on that. But Satan was cast out before Yeshua's death. What, what does that mean? Like, what, what does that mean? So and he, he's saying he's deceiving the whole world before his death. And the last thing I want to say is, I have to do way more study on this, but I, I'm wondering if, if John the Revelator wrote John, and then he also wrote Revelation, he, this is Hebrew John 12 talking about being casted out. Revelation 12 is talking about being casted out. I wonder if there's more codes for each chapter. So I just know that you know John 3.16 is also the Philadelphia chapter in Revelation. There's 21 chapters in John and 22 in Revelation. The 22 is literally, you know, it's we live with him in eternity. So I wonder if 21 through 21 link up and then 22 is talking about the great eighth day or something like that. Um, and before I pass it off to Noel, Rob mentioned something about a voice coming down from heaven. Yeah, I agree. I, th I do think it's the Father. Um, yeah, I couldn't read anything more than that into it. But uh, that's all I got. But I want Noel to touch on all that stuff. Well, there is there's a lot there to touch on. Um, I'll get to the um, to Satan in a, in, in a moment. And it, I'll just comment here though quickly. Satan's presence is like all through here. Like we, I, I've been overwhelmed with how much he is in in John. And you know, like the you actually see him in a way, like in the crowd, say you know, accusing him, like, no, you're Satan, you're you're casting out, you know, you know, through Satan, that kind of stuff. And then in the next chapter, we're going to see Satan actually entering into uh, the body of a man. Um, we see here in I want to go back to the ascension of Isaiah real quick, and this comes from and now. Chapter 3, verse 13 through 31. Let's see if I can find this. Um, am I there? I am not there. I need to pull this up. This is in reference to what Isaiah saw. And, you know, people can debate whether the ascension of Isaiah is scripture or not. I, I, I think that this has been tampered with a little bit, this book, uh, kind of modernized for the Greeks. But uh, I just as we saw with the, um, the Hebrew Gospel of uh, Yochan and John, that the Greeks kind of, you know, updated it a little bit for the audience. But here's what we read in 
chapter 3, verse 13 through 31. And this basically is banking off what it says that Yeshayahu the prophet said these words when he saw the exaltation of El and spoke of him. For, let's see, I hope I'm in the right, well, if I'm not reading the, the, the right passage, it's still awesome. For Beliar, who was Satan, was in great wrath against Yashiyahu by reason of the vision that he had, and because of the exposure wherewith he had exposed Samael, Satan, and because through him the going forth of the beloved from the seventh heaven had been made known. And the theme, of course, of the Ascension of Isaiah is watching um, the son of, uh, son of Adam, Yahusha, actually coming down from the seventh heaven through each of the layers of heaven and not being recognized even by the angels. This was like a totally top secret mission that nobody, except for the, the sixth and seventh heaven, nobody actually knew that he had passed their gates and went down to the earth. And Satan didn't even have a clue. That the um, that Yahusha was the the son of Elohim, um, and his transformation and his descent and the likeness into which he should be transformed—that is, the likeness of man—and the persecution wherewith he should be persecuted, and the tortures wherewith the children of Yasharel should torture him, and the coming of his twelve disciples. I always like to point out it's interesting that. All these extra books I read, they just talk about twelve disciples. I'll just leave it at that. But I find it really interesting, and that. And the teaching, and that he should before the Sabbath be crucified upon the tree. Interesting, it says tree there. And should be crucified together with wicked men, and that he should be buried in the sepulchre. And the twelve who were with him should be offended because of him, and the watch of those who watched the sepulchre. And the descents of the angel of the church, which is in the heavens, whom he will summon in the last days. And that Gabriel, the angel of the Ruach HaKodesh, and Michael, the chief of the holy angels, on the third day will open the sepulcher. So right there, that's interesting. We haven't gotten there yet, but it actually, if you pay attention, is identifying the two angels who were outside the tomb, Gabriel and, uh, and Michael. And Gabriel is identified as the angel of the Ruach HaKodesh. And the beloved sitting on their shoulders will come forth and send out his twelve disciples. There's the twelve again. And they will teach all the nations, the twelve. And every tongue of the resurrection of the beloved and those who believe in his, in his cross will be saved and in his ascension into the seventh heaven whence he came. And that many who believe in him will speak through the Ruach HaKodesh. And then it goes on to say that uh, in the last days, the people who depart from the teaching of the twelve will be in the age of apostasy. But... It seems like what we what we see there is that um, the reason, according to this, that Satan entered into Man, uh, the heart of Manesha, and I might read that in the next chapter. He actually, you know, when he entered Judas Iscariot, Yehuda, that wasn't the the first person he entered into. It seems like he's done this throughout history. He enters into Manesha, and he has Yeshayahu killed, uh, sawn asunder with a wooden saw. Because of this vision he saw, he was he hated that he had this vision, and furthermore, that Satan himself would not understand this vision. Like his eyes were darkened. He he, for all his knowledge, he wasn't able to get it. That's one of the the themes here. Um, so, going on, I I want to touch on this really quickly too. Uh, Michael and Rob had both touched on this. 
and I, I'm just going to, I guess, be a broken record, but it's worth repeating. I hear so often, for those of us who are in pursuance of Torah, we are trying to keep our Father's commands, and we are being treated like the apostates in the Christian church. The Christian church looks at us and goes, um, my Bible says all I have to do is believe in Jesus, and I, I believe in him, so I'm good to go. And if you do anything more than that, you're going against what this says. Well, we get this in so many variations, but that's ultimately what they're saying. And as you know, people, <laughs> they say, like, I'm spiritual. And it's like, well, demons are spiritual too, so be more specific, right? Or as, or as Yaakov would say, even the demons believe and shudder. So belief is not enough. And here we see, I'm going to, again, call this conspiracy that we see uh, throughout our study. Here we are in chapter 12, and we have seen every week where every single time, well, almost every time, on cue, Yahushua is talking about obedience, that if you believe on me, you're going to be obedient, it's cut out. Why is that? All right. And, um, and this is what I try to hammer into. Uh, I don't care if you call yourself Catholic, Christian, Orthodox, whatever title you want. I really don't care. Call yourself a dispensationalist. If you're, if you're being obedient to Torah, I don't really care what you call yourself. I don't even know what I call myself. You know, not serene. I don't really care. But people are like, well, they don't understand that if you believe in him, then you do what he says to do. That's what belief is. I say this every week. I'll probably say it next week. It's worth repeating. Um, so there was a couple passages here, Michael, that you didn't. Uh, you talked about revelation um, when it comes to Satan. Let me just uh, put in here in, in good old Bible bot. Isaiah 14, um, 12 through 17. These are worth reading. This is, of course, dealing with the prince of the world that will be cast outside. This is what it says in Isaiah, Yeshayahu, because that's the theme of this chapter. A lot of Yeshayahu, right? So it, I'm, I'm going to call this and say that this here, verse 31, is another reference to the prophet Yeshayahu. How you have fallen from the heavens, O the shining one, son of the morning. You have been cut down to the ground, you who laid low the nations. For you have said in your heart, let me go up to the heavens. Let me raise my throne above the stars of El. And let me sit in the, in the mount of appointment on the sides of the north. Two things on that right there. What is NASA trying to do right now, right? They're trying to ascend to the heavens. Um, the sides of the north is a reference, in my opinion, to uh, paradise where Adam was enthroned. And the prophecy we have shown in other books that... Um, Adam would actually sit on the throne that Satan once sat in. Uh, that he was he was thrown out on his ass, and Adam, excuse my language, but and um, Adam is going to sit on that throne. I believe he's on it now, uh, on that throne. Let me go up above the heights of the clouds, uh, <clears throat> uh, NASA. Uh, let me be like the Most High. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the sides of the pit. Those who see you stare at you and ponder over you, saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook rains, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who would not open the house of his prisoners? And then we have one more here, um, and Rob has commented on this recent in recent studies. Let's see if I spell this right. I think it's 28. 
16 of Ezekiel. Okay, well, I think it goes on from here, but I'll just read the first verse. I don't know how many chapters it goes. Let me just be experimental here. What if I said Ezekiel 28, uh, 16 through 23? All right, let's see what that says. By the greatness of your trade, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Uh, and remember, uh, uh, Yahushua said that uh, Satan was a liar and a murderer from the beginning, and he was filled with uh, violence. So I thrust you from the mountain of Elohim. The mountain of Elohim is paradise, uh, the sides of the north. And I destroyed you, O covering um, Kerub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your loveliness. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I threw you to the earth. I laid you before sovereigns to look at you. You profaned your set-apart places by your many crookedness, by the um, unrighteousness of your trading. So we see that uh, the monetary system somehow plays into this. Uh, he, he loved the things of this world, as we would say. Like, you know, that, isn't that what Yahushua just said, right? Like, um, so anyways, all that to say, and we could read that going on, I, honestly, uh, Robin Michael and everyone else, I, I, I'm not really sure yet where this is all playing out on the timeline. Um, at what point he was thrown out of heaven. I kind of, I do see revelation 12. Some of the things in there, I feel like is the mud flood event, uh, where he tried to drown the world in a flood to destroy the set apart ones. And the earth actually like absorbs the water. And I, I sometimes wonder like if that, what if, what if before the, this is a whole other discussion. I don't know if we really need to go down tonight, but what if before the set apart, uh, kind of went to the camp of Yah, the central camp of Yah. He was released. He tried to destroy them all, and this created the mud flood. So I, I am looking at it from that perspective, and I just don't know how to. I don't really know how to line it up with when exactly he was thrown out of heaven. Um, the only reason I say that the thrown out of heaven in Revelation twelve uh, could have been. Um, at the end of the millennial kingdom when he was released, because I know he was thrown into the abyss. It's really, I, I, I've read things in like, uh, like third Baruch and other passages, which seems to imply that, uh, the, the second and the third heaven are actually used as prisons. Um, keep in mind, you know, each layer of heaven is massively huge. Um, so like, you know, if you had like San Quentin, uh, or, Alcatraz in, in the second or third prison, that's still just a little speck on the map, right? But there are actually prisons um, in these heavens where uh, the fallen angels are kept. Uh, and it, it could be argued maybe Satan would be there too, especially that's where Gehenna is and other such locations. That's why I stress that maybe his hurling out of heaven in Revelation 12 is that he's actually being released from prison. That's all I'm going with at this time. I can't really substantiate that, though. But anyways, there's so much in this chapter, I'm going to hand it back to uh, Rob. Yeah, there is. Uh, I'm going to finish up what I have and then uh, comment on some things. Last thing I wanted to cover was on 48 and 49. It says, it says here, um, whosoever despises me and does not receive my words, he already has that which, which judges him. 
the words which I've spoken will judge him in the last day. And once again, we see the comparison of where we are looking at everlasting life, and I, dro I dropped that in there on everlasting life of the just, are those who detest the things of this world they uh, for everlasting life. And then Yeshua speaks here of those that despise him instead of the world. They get judged. So if you despise this world, everlasting life, you despise him, you're getting judged on the last day. So it's that simple. Then 49, for I do not speak of myself, but the Father who sent me, he commanded me to speak and to command. Once again, the Father is orchestrating everything. The Son is in full obedience, hence given the authority, hence being able to say he can do these things. But we see he always defers to the Father. So whenever he's saying that he is doing something, it's of the Father. So, that, I mean, at least that's how I see it and with what uh, we read over and over and over. It's to point back to the Father. And the Father, it's his will, so hence the, the Son is doing it. So I, I, he's been given that permission. So I just wanted to speak to, speak to that on our mind. And, and then uh, for that, I'm pretty much done this, this one here. And I'll comment on anything else that may come up uh, in regards to what you guys have. But I'll pass it, all, pass it over to Michael for any, anything further. Uh, no, I'm, I am done on Chapter 12. So nothing for me. All right, then I will go ahead. I don't have anything more I really want to add because yeah, I want to get on the next chapter. So let's go ahead and start reading. This is chapter 13. Yet before the feast of Pesach or Passover, Yeshua, whose time had come that he had to cross over from this world to the Father, who loved those who were with were his in this world, loved them to the end. Now the meal being done, when Hasatan had put it in the heart of Yehuda Iscariot that he should betray him, because he knew that El had given all things in his hand, and that he had gone out from El and would return to El, he rose up from the meal and laid down his clothes and took a linen cloth and girded himself. After that he put water in a bowl and started washing the Talmudim's feet, and he wiped them off with his linen cloth and was girded on him. When he came to uh, Simon Kepha, Kepha said to him, Adon, are you going to wash my feet? Yeshua answered him, If I do not wash them, you will have no portion with me. Then Simon, even Kepha, said to him, Not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. So Yeshua said to them, Whosoever is bathed lacks nothing except that he should wash his feet, for he is clean, all of him, and you are clean, but not all of you. For I know him who is about to betray me, and therefore I say, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet, he took his clothes, and when he had sat and reclined at the table, he said to them again, Do you understand the thing which I have done? You call me Adon and Rabbi, and give praise and blessing to the name. However, I, your Adon, wash your feet. So you also have to wash each one of the foot of his friend. For I have given it to you for a parable, as I have done, so you must also do. Truth I say to you, the servant is not greater than his adon, nor the sent one 
than he who sent him. If you know these things, you will be blessed when you do them. I do not say this of all of you. I know those whom I have chosen, but in order that the scripture may be fu- become fulfilled, he who eats my bread lifted up his heel against me. I tell it to you now, before the event, in order that when it happens, you may believe that I am he. Truth I say to you, whosoever receives me, receives him who sent me. When Yeshua had said these words, he found himself pressed in spirit. And he warned and said, Truth I say to you, the one of you will betray me. Therefore the Talmudim looked at one another and doubted of whom he spoke. Now one of his Talmudim was reclining at the chest, at the garment hems of Yeshua, he whom Yeshua loved exceedingly. And Shimon was at the other side, and he asked, Who is he of whom he said this? Then, as he was reclining on his chest, Yeshua said unto him, Adon, who is it? Behold, he is here. Now this is Yeshua speaking again. I will send the piece of bread with dip. And when he had dipped the bread, he gave it to Yehuda, son of Shimon Ishkariot. When he had taken a mouthful, then Hasatan came. So Yeshua said to him, What you do, do it with much hastiness. But this word, no, no one of those who were sitting understood why he had said it. For some of them thought that Yehuda, who had a purse, that Yeshua said to him, Buy those things we need for the day of the feast, or that he should give something for the poor ones. And then, after he had taken the whole piece, he immediately went out, and it was night. Then when he had gone out, Yeshua said, Now the Son of Man will be glorified, and El will be glorified in him. And El um, will be glorified, he even himself. And with persistence, he will glorify those sons who are still with you. You were not able to come to the place where I am going. And now I tell you a a renewed commandments, that you must love one another in unity as I love you, that you may love one another among yourselves. And in this, everyone will recognize you, that you are my Talmudim, if you have love and goodwill to one another. Then Shimon Kepha asked him, Adon, where are you going to? Yeshua answered and said, To the place where I am going, you are not able to come after me now, but Afterwards, you will come. Then after this, he said to him, Why am I not able to go after you now? I I will give my nefesh for you. So Yeshua said, You will not give your nefesh for my sake. Truth I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. And he said this unto his Talmudim. All right, uh, Rob, you're up this time. All right. Um, I will, I will start with the, the washing of the feet here. And we, we see that, well, one thing we see is that the washing, washing the feet was the first thing done before they went into their tent or dwelling. And this, this is a practice that is done out of, I mean, uh, I think practical reasons, washing your feet before going into your, your dwelling instead of tracking anything in. And plus, 
um, the feet that get your feet get dirty from whatever sandals and so forth you're wearing and going out out in the field and travel, etc. So keeping that in mind, uh, we see in in verse twelve that uh, so he do you understand the things that he had done? And when you think about that. Here we see uh, Yeshua stating whoever is bathed or clean, also meaning innocent, uh, the, the person's bathed or, or clean, they're, they're, it could be also a metaphor for being innocent, lacks nothing except he washes feet. Now, what, do you, what would you mean by that? My, my thoughts on that is that uh, uh, it's, what it says to me is that we must wash or cleanse ourselves in our journey where we go in this world, uh, whether that means repentance or dusting off our feet from places that reject us. Uh, that's kind of the, I guess, the, the metaphor or meaning of what I'm getting from that interpretation. And obviously here also in, in verse 14, it says, uh, your add-on washes your feet so as also uh, have to wash each other's feet of the friend. So the master shows that he can serve the servants, that they too can serve each other as one, as no one is greater, but we must all humble ourselves when we are with each other. So that's what I wanted to speak to, the washing of the feet, and then I'll get to later down uh, after you guys. So I'll pass it over to Michael. Okay. Yeah, I don't have much on chapter 13, but I will split split mine up too. Um, the number one, the first verse in chapter 13, again, the Hebrew just does it more justice. So I'm going to read the Greek first. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And in the Hebrew, yet before the feast of Pesach, Yeshua, whose time had come, that he had to cross over from this world to the Father, who loved those who were his in this world, loved them to the end. I just, again, I've mentioned it in previous chapters uh, that the Hebrew uses cross over. And everybody, you know, that's in this Torah movement loves to say that, you know, we are crossing over from life to death, and that's what Hebrew means. And uh, the Hebrew John literally says that. And I just love how it says, we're going to the Father. We're crossing from this world to the Father. Um, number five, John, uh, Rob kind of talked about it, um, about the washing of the feet. I just wanted to say that this was the only gospel that mentions Yeshua washing his disciples' feet. So I thought that was interesting that it wasn't in the others, or at least that's what I found. Um, and... It just shows you his humility because the person washing the feet was usually the servant um, out of the house. Um, and finally, on this part, on the, my first half, um, 21, when Yeshua had said these words, he found himself pressed in spirit, and he warned and said, Truth I say to you, that one of you will betray me. And um, I found a cross-reference. It's Psalms 41.9, talking about Absalom's betrayal of King David. Um, it says, Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. So um, that's all I have for this first part, and I guess I can give it off to Noel. 
So, for those of you who have been, I guess, following this channel for the last several months, uh, in our in our discussions on Thursday nights, and of course here on Sabbath, I have really been kind of throwing around this idea of, was Yahushua's ministry one year, or was it three years? Was he a Passover lamb, or was he the heifer? Which, you know, a Passover lamb, the idea is that uh, it is a year-old lamb, which would imply that his ministry was one year. A heifer is more like, you know, goes along with the three-year uh, timeline. And I have pointedly commented several times that it seems like he, uh, Yahushua showed up, he uh, said the wrong things to the right people, and was quickly murdered. You know, he just shows up and he just upsets them and they just do away with them. Hence the one-year Passover lamb. I have to comment here, though, that here this in verse 1, this is the third time in the Gospel of John or Yochanan where it says that he arrived for the peace, Feast of Passover. The other two, um, and I had to look back in the Hebrew Gospel, it still says Passover. It is John 2, verse 13. And then the second time is chapter 6, verse 4. And now we're on the last Passover, uh, starting in, uh, we're, we geared up for it last week with uh, chapter 11, when they were getting ready for it. And here we are, we're coming upon Passover. So now many people have commented through the years that John is written out of order. Um, but, you know, as I'm reading this, it just seems like, and then, and then, and now, and then, it wasn't like, I, I don't know if he really is. Now, Revelation is jumps all over the place. So maybe this does too. I don't know. I'm just saying that it, it really does appear here like we're looking at a three to three and a half year um, ministry. So it's just interesting to note. The, th that being said, they're getting ready for Passover, and then it says in verse 2, now the meal being done. Well, which meal are we talking about here? And this is hotly debated. I don't have an answer for this. I just want to throw this out there that I'm wondering if this was the Passover meal that Yahushua had with his disciples. Uh, that being said, that it, the next day, if the Yahudim were celebrating Passover, the idea is, is that they were on the wrong day. Why they were on the wrong day, I don't know. And again, I'm not saying they were on the wrong day. But that is something that, you know, has my interest that I think about. Later on, we read that uh, when Yehuda or Judas Iscariot leaves, that they're saying, they're saying among themselves that he is going to buy those things we need for the day of the feast. So would they be talking about Passover the next day or um, the uh, day of unleavened bread? I don't really know. That's I, I can't really answer that. Though it seems like, and I, I, I'm again, I'll throw this out there that what we are about to read going into next week, that when he's telling his uh, disciples to stay up all night with him, it seems kind of like this is like a Passover ordeal that's going on. Um, you know that that just this whole thing comes across like Passover to me. Again, maybe Rob and Michael have a different opinion on that. I don't really know where to go with that. Uh, the last thing I, I, I want to point out, and this is going to totally confuse people who aren't following uh, our, the unexpected cosmology elsewhere with the Millennial Kingdom research. I apologize. 
Uh, I know Michael loves talking about it. I love talking about it. But when when he's washing the, the, the feet of his disciples, and he's talking about, you know, who's greater and so on and so forth. Uh, this is something I've been thinking a lot about recently, and I want to develop into a study one week is what it means to have riches in heaven. Because my mind has been blown away looking at these grand palaces and cathedrals all over the earth, uh, knowing that those were the resurrected saints, the, the, the priests of the kingdom living in there. And when we think of riches in heaven, we think it's almost like we think of like a, like like Smog the Dragon and the Hobbit. You know that he's got his his gold piled up, or you know Golem, you know my precious. You know it's like you know what what is going to be stocked in in our heavenly eternal place for us? These riches in heaven, right? But according to this context, and this matches up exactly with what everything I've been finding with Tartaria Millennial Kingdom research is that the only riches we will be given is so that we can in turn serve um, others below us. So the idea of like, you know, a rag and a, a bowl, like maybe it's a golden bowl and it's a really awesome rag, but you're using that to serve other people. And that's my whole experience in this millennial kingdom thing, seeing how all these buildings were built up and designed to serve humanity. And then, of course, you know, the, the inversion happened, the flip, when the, the evil sons of Cain took over. Uh, they inverted and make it, you know, like these, you know, elite kings with their private gardens and their private palaces and their, you know, smog the dragon and golem and all that kind of stuff, right? But that's not the way it's designed or set up. Um, I have a lot, I have a few more things I could uh, talk about in here, but I'm going to hand it back to Rob. Yeah, regarding, I'll, I'll touch base on that uh, too. The net, the meal before the feast of Pesach, uh, we there's a tradition in in the Jewish culture. Uh, the day before Passover, there's the the fast of the firstborn, in in remembrance to the uh, firstborns being spared or slain during the Passover. So the firstborns are taking a fast the day before uh, Pesach, and perhaps if that tradition was still going on at this point, obviously he's not fasting, but we also know that Yeshua mentions couple multiple times that uh, he does certain things that uh, he does because he is with them. And and I think he's referring when he says that I think he's referring to, you know, keep keep moving forward with the the way you're doing things. But I am here. The the, the Messiah is here with you. So hence let's let's do what what uh, what I'm doing and not question it. So perhaps uh, I don't know if if that has anything to do with it. If there you know he's having a meal before instead of instead of a fast. But he also knows that he's going to be crucified the next day. So I don't know. That's just something I wanted to add in regards to that. Then the two other things I wanted to mention for this chapter is going to be on uh, 31. 
Then when he had gone out, Yeshua said, Now the Son of Man will be glorified, and El will be glorified in him. So Yeshua's capture, uh, his declaration, because we're going to see he's going to be uh, called a king when he's at, on trial. Uh, his death, his resurrection was all to glorify the Father. So he is he's letting them know that the Son of Man will be glorified and El will be glorified in him through what is about to partake that next day. And 35, and in this, everyone will recognize you that you are my Talmudim. If you have love and goodwill to one another. So we have to think about that today. You know, how, if we are his Talmudim, everyone will recognize you if you have love and goodwill to one another. And what do we see in a lot of these chat rooms and a lot of these YouTube chats? We see a lot of uh, dissension. We see a lot of hatred. We see a lot of bad things being said and spread. And can you call them or can you call yourself a Talmudim doing these things? Uh, it's, it's black and white right here, you know. Have love and goodwill to one another. That is his Talmudim. And so people out there who are just uh, ranting or going off on people, they're showing their fruit. And we, we have to be, it, it, this is just a warning. You have to be careful on what you're doing and how you're saying things and what you're saying about the topic or people. And it's a poor example of Talmudim if you consider yourself one. So I just wanted to just uh, reiterate that because I think that's that's key when we read these things is to remind ourselves to stay humble, fear Yah, and love one another. Uh, I think that's it for me, and I'll pass it on to Michael. Um, yeah, I don't have much at all. Uh, 13 was a struggle for me, but um, I'll just finish my, my notes um, with 33 and 34. Uh, I noticed a big difference in 33. He didn't mention little children in the Hebrew. I'll read the Greek. Little children, yet a little, while I am with you, me. And I said unto the Jews, whether I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, and in the Hebrew, persistence. He will glorify those sons who are still with you. You are not able to come to this place where I'm going. Um... Yeah, I don't know what to make of that. I just wanted to highlight that part. Um, 34, um, you know, Christians, they'll love this one in the Greek. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. In the Hebrew, it doesn't say new. It says renewed, just like this, you know, certain Bibles like the Sefer talk about a renewed covenant instead of the new covenant, which is in most translations. Um I like the Hebrew better. Um, renewed, not a new. And then I just want to quote what he's talking about. Leviticus 19.18, You shall not take vengeance, nor hold any grudge against the sons of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Um, that's pretty much all I had. I wanted to say one more thing. Noel mentioned about the one or three and a half. I was in the one year for a while. Um, I just saw it everywhere. But now, you know, Hebrew John's taking out that he's the Passover lamb and what Noel's pointing out about the Passovers. I have to do a lot more research on the red heifer. 
Um, I know there's some similarities with the hyssop and all that kind of stuff and the dot, the scarlet, but um, I always thought the heifer was a woman too, a female cat, a female heifer. But I don't know. I'll leave it at that and let Noel comment on the rest. Yeah, I was I was saying in our first week in the study that uh, just so as a reminder for everyone, what Michael was talking about there is that Yochanan uh, the baptizer does not say in the Hebrew when he sees Yahushua coming, behold the Lamb of El. He doesn't say that. And it says that in the Greek. It's completely taken out. And we were like, wait, what? And I was commenting that if we ever get our hands on the full text of the Hebrew uh, revelation, because I know it's got to be out there, and I'm I'm pointing at you, Vatican, because I know you have it. I know you probably have like 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 seven of them, like lined up, you know, and like in on your shelf somewhere. Um, if if it says uh, like the you know the lamb that comes before the throne that opens the seal, like if that's not there, I'm going to be like, okay, what's going on? Like, so I I don't know. I don't have any. Um, I, I, no more comment on that. There's not a there's not a um, too much more here that I did want to comment on. It is interesting that once again um, in the in the Hebrew um, Gospels we see the name mentioned more. Sometimes actually it will say Yahuwah, um, and so we see here that in verse thirteen you call me Adon and Rabbi and give praise and blessing to the name. Now it was commented on here even by the translators of this. They're not they're not sure if it's referring to the name. Yeshua, um, but they're they're even insinuating that um, it seems to be the context seems to be the name of the Most High, and from what we've read so far, I would say that that seems to be the best context. There is uh, another another interesting uh, just a note here because I'm we're always looking for what is taken out, what is not there. That the in the Greek there's an exchange between. Uh, Yahusha, or in the Greek, we'll say just you know, Jesus, right? Jesus, and and Peter, and over the washing of the feet, and, you know, and good old Peter the Zealot, right? And he's and and Jesus saying, uh, I, "I'm going to wash your feet," and Peter's like, "No, you'll never wash my feet," you know. And so it's actually verse seven is actually taken out of the Hebrew; it's not even there. And this is what it says in the Greek. Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. So that entire dialogue, what I just read, is completely removed from the Hebrew. Um, when you when you read it in the Hebrew, yeah, it's kind of seamless. Like It kind of it feels like it, it, it connects, but that's I still feel the weight of that absence. And the reason I'm bringing this up because the more I'm reading this this Hebrew gospel, I just want everyone to know that I believe this is legit. Um, that this does predate the Greek text we have, but then again, all we're given by the Vatican, to my understanding, is one one document. Right with the Texas Receptus, you have, I guess, hundreds. I don't know how many we have of different variations that they put together to to make and then you have the codex Sinaiticus and the vaticanus as well we just have one so all we're going with is this one book and i i believe that most of this is legit but sometimes i wonder if uh, some of these things that are i've pointed out in the past that um 
sometimes it does feel like the Greek scribe is kind of like adding, and he said this to mean that. And it's like, okay, I can see that as a, as a note taken by like a monk or a scribe. But sometimes here it's like, I don't know, maybe like some reason it just got left out. I don't know. It just seems weird that in the Greek text, they would add that extra line there because it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't seem like any reason to do that. All right. That was just all my thoughts on that. I think I'm feeling pretty good about this. I did want to point out that um, Yahusha talks many times about uh, people doing things in the light or the darkness and wicked people do things in the darkness. And I, I just think that's really interesting with uh, Yehuda or Judas here that he was clearly doing things in the darkness. He is the definition of an actor, a hypocrite in the sense that he was a thief and stealing and was with allied, allied with Satan really from the beginning, pretty much. And to the point that uh, doing things in the darkness to the point that the other Talmudim, the other disciples had no clue. Like they, they weren't even getting it when he went to betray them. And they're like, is he going to buy something for the meal? Cause he's got all the money. Right. So I just want to point that out that it's going to be interesting when all things at the very end are brought to the light. And uh, you know, we, we find out who the actors are and who the legitimate people are. And I, just so everyone knows, I, I'm not saying that like, uh, like, oh yeah, I'm going to find out who all the I, 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 I work out my salvation with fear and trembling, and you know, I because I know that it's those who per- persevere to the end that are saved, not someone who made some prayer when they were five years old, right? I can't bank off of that. I can't bank off of uh, one year ago. I can't bank off of that. I, I have to work out my salvation with fear and trembling and not be an actor and try to convince people that I'm someone that I'm not, right? Um, so I'll, that's kind of, all, I'll end on that note. I think that's a good note to end on. Uh, that's all I have. Rob, back to you. Yeah, the, the I don't really have anything to add but other than just what you had said, I thought was a, a good point in in that Yeshua answered him, if I do not wash them, you will have no portion in me. And, I mean, if you take that literally, it, it just means you would think that uh, if Yeshua doesn't wash your feet, then you'll have no portion in him. But what he's saying here is for each, any one of us uh, to serve one another, hence washing the feet of the others. If the master can do it, then we can do it and to love one another and serving them. So I, I'll end with that. And other than that, I got nothing to add other than uh, turning this over to the chat. Anyone in the chat room that has questions or inputs from what we had read and things discussed, please um, feel free to speak up and ask them. So just to be clear, uh, what Rob said is that we're handing it over to you guys. Does anyone have anything that they were thinking about uh, that maybe we didn't address, we glossed right over, or anything you guys want to add to the conversation? Yeah, verse 27, the difference between the Greek and the Hebrew, where in the Greek it's, um, I put it in the chat, entered into him. Satan entered into him, and in the Hebrew, it was um, 
What did I write? Hold on, let me quote it correctly. Uh, one moment. Yeah, Satan entered into him, and then in Hebrew, then Hasat Hasatan came. So that could be um, language, you know, how you interpret it. But it is it is a difference, and it was almost like we can see in the Hebrew, was he actually speaking to Judas or was Hasatan actually showed up his spirit and he was speaking to him? I don't know. Considering that Hasatan doesn't recognize him yet, actually. No, I, I would, I would agree. If, if what you're in, uh, in, uh, suggesting is that Yahushua was actually speaking to Satan um, by saying what you do, do it with much hastiness. Um, that's, I, I, I mean, he might've been speaking to both of them, but I, I'm definitely on board with that. Yeah. What, what I'd like to add, add is that we read in, in, uh, in Job where Job sees his, his wife coming and he and Hasatan is like hiding behind her <laughs> as she's walking up to him and, and Job sees him and and addresses him. But his wife is like right there. So she doesn't see him, but he does. So it could be something to that scenario uh, where Hasatan is there behind him, influencing him, whatever. Uh, that's my thought came to mind. Hank, what was your question? I'm just. I'm trying to do the mental track here of the enemy having no clue when the sun is uh, going through the layers of heaven. And that's like, that's like the Mary and Joseph and the beam, right? And then virginal birth, right? That moment, correct? And he has no clue, correct? Yeah, yeah. Well, go ahead. Finish your observation. Yeah, go ahead. Well, and so he still has no clue, even in the 40 days, he doesn't really realize, correct? Okay. That's, that's so, my conclusion, yes. Okay. So, and then when he goes down and with the keys and goes and gets Adam, that's when he figures it out, right? Even up until that point, he's still like, huh? Right? My question is, my question is, like, when when he turns to Judas and Satan enters at that moment, what portion of is it of him? And like, there's still got to be a disconnect of some sort, correct? If he is still clueless, but yet still participating, he's he also is still in the dark. I would imagine. well, you got to realize he's that vain. He's that vain that he's there messing with one of. Yah's, Yah's children, and one of his, what he, like, as mentioned earlier, even if he thinks he's a, just a prophet, he's so vain, he's still, we're seeing that he's in the story. He is doing these things, but as you said, he doesn't recognize Yahusha, and it's just like, no, this is what we're, Funnily enough, and it's like, how could it be? And I, and again, we've talked about this in some other, other weeks that it, it's one Yahuwah 
blinds his eyes to it. It would make sense because he's rejected the father. And since he's rejected the father, he can't see the son. Yeah, not just that. If if Hasatan fell, he had a specific uh, uh, focus or a view. And here, like like this scenario, it's very possible he had a specific view of what that Messiah would be or look like or, or be able to do. And we saw that his temp temptations, he was testing him. And perhaps with that test... Uh, it proved to at least Hasatan in his mind that this this is perhaps not the one who I thought it would be, but someone like him. Just a thought. Yeah, when he was... Okay, so a couple things. When Satan is tempting Yahushua in the, in the wilderness, do you guys remember what psalm did... I, I wrote that whole paper on it. You, you, some of you guys were there for it. What psalm was he quoting from? Um the number escapes me. If someone knows it, shout it out. But what Satan was ultimately trying to do is get intel from him. He knew that, okay, so Yahushua's coming along, and he's, he's, here's what Satan would, had deduced by that time. He's like, um, this guy's a prophet. He, you know, he's, he's working for Yahuwah in some form. And, oh, Psalm 91. Okay. And, and what, when he's asking him to like jump down and the angels will, will, uh, to nab him, uh, it can be argued whether or not that would have been, you know, we talk about the temptation. Like, would that really have been sin for Yahushua to jump down off the cliff and have angels save him? I mean, that we can argue that point. But what Satan was trying to do was, is he wanted to find out, is this the guy from Psalm 91? Is this the guy that's going to crush the head of the, of the serpent? Um, and, and Yahushua, uh, didn't give him the answer he was looking for. He actually gave him truth back, but not what he was looking for. So when we see Satan, basically the, who is the angel of death, when we see the angel of death taking Yahushua down to Sheol, he's very proud of his catch. Like, it's almost like uh, if you go on a fishing trip or go on a hunting trip and you catch a big bear or a big fish, and he's like, he's like, look what I caught. Like, this guy, this guy's a piece of work, let me tell you. And he, he thought, like, he was, I think by that time, he thought he was more than a prophet. Like, I think I got Elijah or Enoch here. Um, I think he actually says that to the Princess Sheol. Like, look who I got. I got Elijah. And the Princess Sheol's like, you idiots. No, like I'm the timekeeper, and I know that Elijah's not showing up for another wait for five hundred years. Five hundred years later, guys. So try not to let cognitive dissonance win that day. Uh, and uh, and Satan's like, what? So yeah, he 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 knew he was onto something, and he knew that he knew that Yahusha could not be corrupted. He tried to corrupt him. He tried. Remember, Satan tried to get Yahusha in his service. Right? He offered him the world and and you know he he didn't take it right and i believe by the way i i don't the way satan operates if yahusha had you know I, I feel horrible saying this because i don't believe this but you know that he would have succumbed to the temptation but had yahusha said yeah yeah i'll take the world yeah let's do this let's make this trade satan would have actually worked with him I think he would have like okay fine i'll make you king of the earth and he would have worked with him um and I mean, you we look in here we read the all the people we read in chapter 12 
Uh, we saw even last week the, with the parents of the blind, uh, the blind guy who saw the light, they wouldn't even stick up for their own son. And they wouldn't declare who Yahushua was because they were afraid of being kicked out of the temple. And we see guys like, I think Nicodemus is one of them, uh, these Pharisees and these priests in the temple, and they know Yahushua is the Messiah. And they don't even, they're so afraid of being kicked out because they want a slice of the pie, right? This is how easily Satan had bought everybody. Like, they will deny who he is just to be a part of the system. And, um, and so anyways, so what Satan knew at this point, he knew he had to kill him because he couldn't buy this guy. He couldn't, like, this, is, this was a servant of El, and he couldn't have that. He couldn't have someone who was actually being obedient to the law. And I think it's just, that's the long of a really, what I could have probably given a very short uh, response to, is that uh, Satan, he, he thought he had a big fish. I think that's what he thought he had. So, yeah, um, what you wrote there in um, Psalm 91, let me look, um, Psalm 91, let me just try verse 13 through, I don't know, through, uh, let's just try 19. Okay, what does that say? So, and the, the follow-up verse is what's important here, because verse 11 and 12 says this in Psalm 91. For he commands his messengers concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They bear you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot upon a stone. So Satan is saying, look, jump off here, the angels will save you. They're not going to let you uh, dash your foot against a stone. They're going to catch you in their hands. Well, why would Satan want him to do that? Well, the following verse is the important one. You tread upon lion and cobra, young lion and serpent. You trample underfoot. So th there's a contrast. This person whom the angels would not let his feet dash on the stones, his feet would in turn crush the head of the serpent. This is the prophecy in Genesis. So Satan's trying to figure out who this guy is. And he's just trying to be like, are you that dude? And, and when he did, when Yahushua didn't comply, Satan's like, aha, see, you, could, you don't believe. You say all these things. You say you're the son of El, but you don't actually believe it to be true because I asked you to do it and you couldn't do it for me. You couldn't demonstrate this miracle for me. You see, and this is, you know, pride goes before the fall, right? So. Anyways, that's my thought on it. You didn't hear an answer? Well, okay, I thought I answered your question. So, <laughs> so okay, can you, Hank, can you ask me again what, what was the question that I didn't answer? It was, it was not a dumb question. It was okay. an awesome question. I just, I just think maybe, maybe like how Lord is a title of people in charge, maybe it was an associate and it wasn't actually him who was actually coming into uh, Judas at that time. And, you know, it was, it, you know, I, I still don't see how he would could have been a participant and hadn't been clued in or had known. I mean, I just see, I see, I see a spirit waiting on the sidelines. Okay. You got the green light, go, go, go. So it's like, uh, I don't, I don't know. I, are you saying that you think it was a different Satan than the head honcho, like just a Satan in general? Is that what you're saying? If, I mean, 
how else how else could he just not be well i guess well noel talked about this before remember even the disciples at times oh yeah no that's a good one, point that's a good point no one really knew so no one so knew. he's like an opportunist and that gets like in the way of like the forest and the trees situation i think i think one of the things i some I think one of the things I summed up in that study is that, uh, and, and it's just like Mike just said, their pride goes before the fall, is that uh, a proud person uh, cannot see how Yah would work in humility. Um, and it's, that's, that's one of the hard things about ministries as well, because we think in terms of these, you know, you want to be a big ministry and have all this impact, and we can't see how Yahuwah would work through something so small and insignificant as a baby being born and set into a manger, right? Um, and so when when Satan is expecting Messiah to come, he's ex I think he was expecting him to come in, in glory and all these, you know, and come in conquest, um, like, you know, he would have come uh, to usher in the Millennial Kingdom. Um, and nobody, so when when according to the ascension of isaiah which i was quoting tonight which i think is very appropriate as as yahusha is going through each uh, guard gate through the next heaven he's actually uh, his glory is being removed and he's becoming lesser like each of the angels and they don't recognize him and and i i think i think it was such a top secret uh, uh um uh mission and i had stated this that it was such a top secret mission that only the angels who inhabit the highest of heavens, uh, the sixth and seventh, maybe the fifth, uh, knew that Messiah actually, like we're talking Gabriel, uh, you know, Michael, that the very top angels, they knew that Yahushua had left all the other, even the, we're talking angels who hadn't even fallen. They didn't even know. Uh, that he had gone on his mission. Because as we know, loose lips sink ships, right? So it's not just Satan that didn't know. It was many people in heaven. Because we see in the ascension of Isaiah, when Yahushua's mission is done and he's ascending up to the heavens, he's going in his glory. And the angels are just like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know you left. Like seriously? like. And so Satan's got his intel too. And he's he's got um, all his his uh, spirits and angels up just below the firmament uh, where NASA goes up, right? And they're all arguing and fighting up there. And this is where Isaiah says, as above, so below, right? Um, and they would have been like, yeah, he never passed by this way. We never saw him. So I, I, I just think, I think that it was such a top secret mission that yeah, nobody knew. And we also, we also see the, um, the, uh, the transition, the gospel of Nicodemus does a great job at this. So you actually see the Yahudim, uh, they're actually a mouthpiece for Satan. And leading up to uh, his crucifixion, they, they did not get who he was. They murdered him. It wasn't until after he resurrected that they were like, oh, that was the Messiah. Then they actually recognized that it was the Messiah. Now they still chose to cover it up and not believe in him or, you know, whatever. They didn't repent, just like Satan. But it's only the only reason they were to see it afterwards is because Satan finally figured it out. And he was like, and he was like, oh, man. you know, because the, the Prince of Shields, like basically hitting him over the head, like, do you know what you've just done? 
uh, the Princess Shield was the only guy who figured it out of all the principalities and so on and so forth. Um, anyways, that's that's my whole take on it. Putting all the scripture together, I really don't. I really think he did. He did not know. And that's the thing. That's the thing we all have to recognize. Like we know Satan is genius, right? In order to pull off the deceptions all over the world today, we're talking. You know, global birth is just the beginning of it, right? Like all these deceptions, and you look at you know the germ theory hoax, and just you know, we could just go on and on and on and on with all the lies. But it doesn't matter because all Yahuwah has to do is this: just. Just close your eyes, plug up the ears. It doesn't matter how brilliant you are. It's it's just gonna be darkness. There's nothing you can do about it. And we have seen this. We I have seen this in my life, and you guys will know what I'm in, uh, hinting at here. That I have seen people that I knew and loved um, in my life that I have watched Yahuwah darken their eyes right in front of me. People who were passionate for him. And then it just becomes darkness. And that's what happens when he shuts down. He just he just flips the switch and that's it. And there's nothing Satan can do about it. So doesn't matter how how much he knows scripture, doesn't matter how smart he is. If if he doesn't have it uh eyes to see then that's it. So Hopefully I answered that, and it was, uh, I just so you know, I thought it was really awesome, Hank, because I went off on that whole rant, whether I answered it or not. Um, I really enjoyed that, so. Anybody else? Uh, I don't rob Michael if you wanted to add anything to that. Nothing for me. Okay. I'm just going to drop something in the chat. Yeah, uh, exceedingly, uh, exceeding abundantly mentioned the passage when the demons go into the swine and they run in front of him. Says, "You are the son of El," and that, that's a good point. Um, so, my my take on that passage is that there are many things that are said that are they say that is prophetic that just comes out. One of those cases would be uh, Caiaphas, and we read this last week. I don't have the notes in front of me, uh, but it said that he, or maybe it was two weeks ago, and and he actually, it said that he talked about how uh, Yahushua would be lifted up and that he would be sacrificed for the people that year, that he would actually be the sacrifice. Uh, and it said that he, it wasn't that he believed that himself. He just, it just came out of his mouth and he said it. And so sometimes I wonder what the, the demon passage before they were thrown into the swine, that it was just, it was something that they, you know, gave as testimony to him. Um, yeah. Yeah I, I don't know. yeah. I would agree with that. It's because even looking at the text and you look at the, the son of God or child of God and him, them naming him the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed. And I think it goes back to what you were saying. They, they were cast out. And they know that it had to be a child of God that can give this power to cast them out. And uh, whether they themselves, they individually or grouply themselves believe that he was the Messiah, which it does say the demons believe, but, you know, uh, that's it. They, they believe he is the Messiah, but doesn't mean that they are putting their trust in him. So 
it very well could be these these demons recognize that he has this power. He is a child of God to be able to do this, and they they may have believed he was the Messiah, but that doesn't necessarily mean that if some of them believe that the head honcho or anyone any 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 and all others would automatically believe, just like as we discussed, the disciples doubted, and they were beside him. All the time, they witnessed all of these miracles, the majority of them, and they were listening to his words. And then also his cousin, the, the immerser, uh, even had had to ask for confirmation on that. So I think it's very, very likely or plausible that Hasatan may not have fully known who he who or what he was dealing with at the time um, in in fullness of it. So that's my opinion. You know, it's interesting you just you talk about that too, and it just occurred to me that the the demons in the man uh legion um that was thrown into the pigs, when they're saying you are the son of El, um there that is also maybe perhaps a connection to Psalm ninety one and and in within the Dead Sea Scrolls, um and my my thoughts and emotions are all over the place with the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um what's going on with that but that being said there is psalm they found psalm 91 buried in a in a in a jar or a vase with two other psalms that did not end up in the actual canon book of psalms and all three of them share something in common they're they're exorcism psalms and it was highly believed at this time that uh the only person or the only other two people aside from Messiah who could cast demons out of people or could conjure demons or who could control demons was David and Solomon. And this interestingly enough lines up with the Testament of Solomon. I don't need to go on that right now. If anyone has read that it's, I find it to be a fascinating read. Um, and I don't know what all my thoughts are on that book quite yet. Um, but the demons could have been making that connection. They're like, uh, wait a second, if you can cast out demons, and they're like, have you come to sh throw us into the like abyss or whatever? So they may have figured out, like, wow, you're the guy who can cast out demons. Nobody else can do that. And if you look through all scripture, I can't find any, even from Elijah, uh, any prophet, I can't find any examples, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I missed it, where anyone is casting demons out of anybody. Um, even in canon, we don't see that with David and Solomon. It's Yahushua is the first guy who shows up, and he starts casting demons out. And so that is again a connection to Psalm ninety-one of the guy who would come and and do that. So they could have been putting it together. Anybody else have any um any thoughts? Yeah. I pointed out we can look at the last verse where it's shared again that is the in the KJV the Greek that they say verily verily and we we're in the Hebrew it's truth yeah um, I would not think you know I'd be like well, what does verily verily mean you know like merrily merrily no but when it's like truth it really um, it it's it's like speaking much more straighter and direct you you hear Yahusha. And in the Hebrew, he's not asking a question. Where in the Greek, it's put it as in the KJV, it's made into a question. Um, if I can read it real quick. 
It says, Wilt thou lay down thy, thy life for my sake? And in the Hebrew, you will not give your nefesh for my sake. So there might be slight differences, but I think it's it's enough of a difference in the way that um, we, I want to say, process language that in one, it's one, it's I think there's, there's actually words for this. But one, he's speaking in an active voice and the other's passive. And it makes a difference. Just like Good. it's truth or verily, verily. It's like, well, why verily, verily? You're speaking truth. Not this other. And so we notice that in the, in the difference of the translations, the Hebrew uh, is... Seems much more direct, and how um, his words are translated or shared. Yeah, I would agree. That was good. Okay, so um, we can keep talking, but um, I was thinking maybe we should officially close it now because people are uh, telling us good nights, uh, night night, and getting their their beauty rest. So I think we've already, yeah, we've already lost Michael. He's already signed out. So Rob, would you like to close us in prayer? Sure. Father, we give thanks for coming together and reading your words, studying your words, and sharing it with one another, discussing it to learn, to better understand from each other what the Ruach is saying. Father, may you continue to guide us. And may we walk in the light, Father. May we walk in humility. May we love our brothers and sisters. May we bear fruit that is eternal in the kingdom. Father, we ask for your favor, for your kindness and passion for us. That it may be that we may be able to do so in our walk, so that we can just be able to share with one another the love, the mercies, so that we may be blessed. Father, I ask that everyone here be blessed this evening and for their week, and that your spirit dwells with us, encourages us, strengthen, strengthens us and is shared through us. I ask this in Yahushua's name. Hallelujah. All right. Well, um, to everyone who's signing off, uh, last Shabbat Shalom of the, uh, of the day. And I'm not going to be on too much longer. Um, I'll stay on a few minutes longer if anyone wants to talk about something. Every Sunday... We, uh, I've been taking my sons on field trips, kind of educational field trips on different aspects of the world. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I mentioned how I took him to a star fort in the Pensacola area, which was phenomenal. Um, and I, I'm not sure they were able to grasp all that. Um, this tomorrow, which of course they won't be able to grasp it either. On, fr <laughs> on Friday night, uh, my wife, Sarah and I, we 
watched The Truman Show. And we have been gearing our sons up for this and telling them about it and, you know, what it, what, what it's telling us about how these actors actually run the world to give us a false paradigm, how we're actually prisoners in this, uh, you know, in this world. And, you know, we're telling them about the firmament, you know, they, they got all that kind of stuff. I think they were having a really hard time seeing how they themselves are, you know, in a, maybe a TV show you know, and so on and so forth. But I hadn't seen that movie. Uh, neither Sarah nor I had seen that movie since we saw it in the theaters. And it came out, I think, in the spring of 1998, which just so, be, just so happened to be when Sarah and I were dating. We were dating. We were, we were children. I mean, she was 15 years old. I was 16. We were, or no, I was 17 at that time. Um, and she wasn't quite 16 yet. And um anyways and so we hadn't seen it since so here i've been in the flat earth movement for several years now and you know when flat earth took off in 2015 everyone's talking about the truman show and um and i i knew like you know i i knew what they were referring to obviously i remembered it i remembered it fondly and but i have to say like we were watching it just like <laughs> like horrified the whole movie we're like this is real. Like they're, this is our lives. Like this is a biography and we're surrounded by actors. And, and like the, the thing that really hit me and I mean, like there, I could just go through the, this film, just, you know, dissecting the film, how they were using like wildfires to try to keep uh, a Truman in there and also nuclear intimidation and all, all these different things like that weren't real. But the thing that really got me was his best friend, who was his friend for his whole life. And he keeps speaking to him. And then about halfway or like two thirds of the way through the film, you find out that it's the, 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 the Demirge who names, who named uh, Chris Christophus or whatever, which is, you know, for Christ Messiah, right. Uh, you know, Jesus, the Demirge and so on and so forth, but um, that he was speaking into his ear and he was only saying what he was told to say by the creator of the show. And that just that that just struck me in the heart. I'm just like, man, because we had just had this conversation on Thursday night about it's kind of a horror show, isn't yeah, it? In some ways, <laughs> yeah. And it this struck me logical drama, yeah. And what I was saying that it really struck me in the heart because I'm like, I know there are people close to me that are uh, actors. I know it. there has to be. It just. That, that, I mean, that's what they're telling you in the film, and that's just the reality of this world, especially up for us in the truther film. It, it, it just is. But anyways, um, what I was mentioning was that I'm just down the road from the actual community where they filmed the Truman Show. We come here. This is our seventh year coming here. We come here uh, often. And uh, they have like a farmer's market, all that kind of stuff. And, and how they depict it in the movie, the Truman Show, is exactly like they're not stretching any boundaries here it is exactly this is the a picture uh picture perfect white picket fence palm tree tropical city by itself surrounded by woods a little island to itself in paradise it is the most beautiful little city What's the name again uh seaside and it's you can look it up, Seaside. Yeah, you'll see it, and you can just look Truman Show Seaside, whatever. Um, and it's it's like something from like the Stepford Wives, uh, which is another horror film, of course. Uh, but anyway, so we're going there on a field trip tomorrow. I'll be taking after we watch it with our sons, we're taking them there to like all the places where they filmed the Truman Show, and uh, you know all that. So um, that's what we'll be doing tomorrow. 
hopefully hopefully the film kind of was able to i mean it's a lot to process obviously for um a couple seven-year-olds but they're just at that age where you know i'm having those conversations with my sons now like you know the sons of cain rule the world and and i had that conversation like three weeks ago with androgyny and uh just trying to kind of introduce this stuff to them and you know i, I don't know how a seven-year-old i don't know how i would have processed it as a seven-year-old but I don't think they take it quite like like we've been watching uh Sarah and I've been watching mud flood material for the last week. She's hooked on the stuff now. She is like so sold on the Millennial Kingdom. That's like all Sarah and I are talking about. She's just so excited with the Millennial Kingdom. And we're watching this stuff with our sons and they're kind of like you know like they're just I don't know. I mean it it it, it, it's maybe how I was when I was six or seven and people told me that the world was destroyed by flood. I'm like, cool. You know, like it wasn't like a big deal. So, you know, for us is we're like shocked and awed by all this stuff. You know, I, I think like little children, they're like, they don't know anything else, right? They're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, Kingdom happened. All right, cool. <laughs>